I love how pictures document what's happening. They capture moments in my life that I can return to and remember. My life has been about listening to the voice of God and telling people what he said. It's like showing someone a picture of something they've never seen before. In times of peace, it's easy. But in times of trouble, well, that's when it gets complicated. We were living day to day. Not sure if we'd have a home to return to at night. Not sure if our families would make it. We were wondering if we could trust each other. Wondering if we could trust God. So my life's purpose transitioned. Instead of simply listening for the voice of God, I began to use my own voice, crying out to him, questioning, requesting, pleading. And the day I heard it, I took pictures of everything around me, everything that would help me never to forget the day that I knew God was listening to me. He heard, he responded, and yes, he can be trusted. Good morning, everyone. My name is Josh Koskinen, and I am the student ministries pastor here at First Christian, uh, which means that I get to hang out with the coolest middle school and high school students in Decatur. Uh, so that's great. I count that a privilege. Uh, but I couldn't teach on a series called It's Complicated without first quoting the words of a wise 90s poet. And it goes a little something like this. Why do you have to go and make things so complicated? I see. Uh, so Avril and I have a duet album coming out. While Avril Lavigne might not be a wise poet necessarily, uh, the lyrics to that song, tell me why do you have to go and make things so complicated, could have been used in a recent situation in my life. Uh, my wife and my kids were about to head to Wisconsin for Memorial Day weekend, which uh, both my wife and I grew up in Wisconsin, and Memorial Day weekend is a pretty big weekend in our family because my father-in-law was in the service, and he's the president of the American Legion Post in the town that we grew up in. And he always speaks on the town square every year on Memorial Day, and we go and we support him in that. And just a few days before we were going to make our trip for Memorial Day weekend, she got the idea to do a project. And guys, I don't know if your, wife, your wives have ever got this idea before, uh, but when it's project time, it's project time. And uh, so she really wanted to have the garage painted, and uh, I really didn't want to do it that night. So then I came up with this idea that I would say, hey, while you are in Wisconsin, because I was going to stay back for a few days to go to some graduation parties, uh, while you're in Wisconsin, I will paint the garage for you. And if you know me, I'm not particularly strong in the area of work projects, especially with fine motor skills such as painting. But I said it anyway, because I wanted partly to get out of it that night. Uh, and so they went off to Wisconsin, and uh, in between, you know, I was supposed to do it in between the 16 graduation parties that I had to attend uh, that weekend. Uh, that might be an exaggeration, but it felt like that. And so I went to uh, as many graduation parties as I could. I sat down at my house on Saturday night, and I get a text. And the text says, 
Josh, how's painting going? And so then I thought, I better get started. And so then I grabbed all my supplies and I you know, got everything that I needed. And as I was getting started, it dawned on me that it was that night, game seven of the Western Conference Finals for the NBA. And so I went in my house, I turned on the TV as loud as it could go so I could hear it in the garage as I was painting. And then uh, I got to thinking more as I was painting a little bit, yeah, and I have not responded to Emily yet because I couldn't give her a sufficient response yet as to how painting was going. Um, and so as I was doing that, I was thinking, you know, I attended a lot of graduation parties today, but I never really had a full meal. I just grazed. And so I did what any man would do, and I got in my car, and I went and got a quarter pounder with cheese at McDonald's. And so as I was eating my McDonald's, I was listening to the basketball game, and I was painting. I had finally got enough done where I could step back and reply to my wife's original text. And I started to take a picture of all the work that I had done on my phone, and I thought to myself, I am a terrible painter. I mean, really bad. And I took some photos for some evidence for you as to how bad of a painter I was. That paint is on the ground. Um, I just didn't think that would happen. I spilled a few times. And then, I don't know why, but as I was just trying to speed and do things, I didn't take everything out of the garage, and I got some paint on a few things. So I knew my wife would discover some of this in my picture text, because she would zoom in and see all these things. <laughs> and after some, what I'm going to call, words of wisdom, I got, you know, I slowed down, got everything out of the garage, and started to do it the right way and just focus on one thing. I turned off the basketball game. I, you know, was done eating my food at that point, and I just focused on the one thing. And in the series, we're focusing on the life of Samuel. And the passage that we're going to focus on today is 1 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, but before we really look at that passage, I want to take a moment to briefly describe the history of the biblical nation of Israel. Because in order for us to understand the full context of what's happening in the passage that we're going to look at today, we need to understand where Israel has been and how they got to where they were in 1 Samuel. And so uh, a brief history of, history of Israel goes like this. Uh, Abraham was told by God that he was going to be the father of many nations and that all nations would be blessed through him. Now, at the time that he was told this, he did not have any children. And so uh, God promised to give him a son. And so Abraham and Sarah together had a son, Isaac. And for a moment, it looked like Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac, and, uh, but then God provided a sacrifice instead of Isaac for Abraham, and they sacrificed a ram, and on the mountain, God provided and showed that he is faithful in his plan through Abraham. And then Isaac had a son, Jacob, and Jacob became the father of 12 sons, which became the 12 tribes of Israel. And everything is looking good. And then we get to the book of Exodus. And in Exodus, Moses is asking Pharaoh to release the Israelites from slavery from the Egyptians. So the Israelites, God's chosen people, were in slavery. And Moses is pleading with Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. But it isn't happening. Pharaoh says no. And then 
plagues happen, disease happens, and Pharaoh continues to say no, and then Pharaoh's firstborn son on Passover dies, and in his grief, he says, fine, I'll let your people go. And as they are leaving and being freed from the bondage of slavery from the Egyptians, Moses approaches the Red Sea. And at the Red Sea, Moses raises his staff and the Red Sea literally parts so that the Israelites can walk through it. And this is a Bible story that always fascinates me because there are a lot of things that I wonder about it. Like, I wonder, was the ground really muddy from the water? Or was it dry? Like, did God just dry it up? Or as they were walking through, could they see, like, fish and whales and all kinds of other things, like, as they're walking, like, what's going on there? And if you've ever gone anywhere with children, you would know that the children had to have been running their fingers through that wall <laughs> and playing with it, or just jumping in and jumping out, and, you know, d did that happen? And these are the things that I wonder, and if, if it was today, you know, and social media would exist, there would be some guaranteed great hashtags on Twitter and Instagram, and I've come up with a few. Hashtag Red Sea Parting, hashtag Red Sea Rise Up, hashtag Look, a Whale, hashtag Red Sea Picnic Break, hashtag We Made It Across, and then as Pharaoh is trying to attack them to bring them back into slavery, the Red Sea falls down on Pharaoh, hashtag Take That Pharaoh. So, God provides and shows that he is faithful to his people. And after that, the Israelites wandered the desert. Moses receives the Ten Commandments. And God provided, as they were wandering the desert, time and time again, food and water for the Israelites. Joshua took over leadership and led them into battles. One in particular where they marched around the city of Jericho. They yelled, they played music, and the walls fell down as a result. God provided and showed that he is faithful. All of this, they, and many more things, Israelites won battles where they were very outnumbered, but God provided and showed that he is faithful. And then we come to 1 Samuel chapter 7. And in between what Wayne talked about last week and what we're talking about this week, there were a few other things that happened as well. The Israelites and the Philistines were in conflict with each other, and the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant. And I know what you're thinking. How could Indiana Jones have let that happen? <laughs> but the, Israelite, the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant, uh, and they put it in their temple, a holy, the Ark of the Covenant. They put it in their temple, and as they put it in the temple of their God, the statue of their God fell down as if it was worshiping the ark. And the Philistines started to get diseases and limbs were falling off. And they were like, we don't want this thing here anymore. And they literally sent it back to the Israelites through the power of God. And so all of that leading to 1 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 3. And it says this, Then all of the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. And so Samuel said to all of the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the astros and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. 
And so the Israelites put away their Baals and their Astros and served the Lord only. And then Samuel said, assemble all Israel at, Israel at Mitzvah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. And when they had assembled at Mitzvah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted and they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. And now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mitzpah. And so this is unbelievable because the history of God providing and God showing that he is faithful over and over to the Israelites. And then they get the ark back and Samuel's words to them are, turn from your other gods. Repent, turn from your other gods and turn to the one true God. And you would think that after all of this, Israel would be focused on just one thing, God. After seeing his provision and his faithfulness, but Israel isn't. Israel gets distracted and then Samuel calls them back and they listen and they repent. And as I'm reading through and kind of thinking about where Israel has been to where they are now in 1 Samuel, I'm thinking to myself, wow, there have been a lot of times in my life where God has provided and God has shown that he is faithful. And I'm sure there have been times in your life where that's been the case too. And yet sometimes we forget, just as Israel did. We get distracted from other things going on noise in the background, and we forget how good God is. And the Israelites did that. But then Samuel calls them back and he says, repent. And for us, that's something that we can learn too. We can learn to repent. That in the midst of everything else that goes on in our lives, in the midst of all the other things that we have pushed into our calendar, we can often forget God and without knowing it, we can turn to other things that can become gods in our life. And so Samuel says, turn away from that and focus on the one true God. We all lose focus, but the Israelites come back to God and I really think they say something like this. I don't know how we got where we did, but God, we're sorry and we want to come back to you. We have sinned against you. And maybe there have been times in your life where you've said that too. God, I don't know what happened. I don't know how I got to where I did, but there is always time to come back to God. There is always the opportunity to do that. And Samuel, his role in scripture was he was a judge, and a judge was to communicate to the people on behalf of God. And so for us, if we're thinking about that, then we would say, well, who's our, who is to tell us, like, who is our judge? Well, the good news is God has given us the Holy Spirit. For those who have put their faith in God, we have the Holy Spirit to help us, to convict us, to reveal things to us in Scripture. And we have the same spirit that raised God, that raised Jesus from the dead, living in us. And so we have a helper, we have a convictor, we have the Holy Spirit to reveal pieces of the heart of God in us. And let's continue on in 1 Samuel 7, starting in verse 7, and it says this. 
When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mitzpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. And so Samuel said, hey, if you turn from your other gods and focus on the one true God, God will deliver you. Yet they are still afraid. They are still afraid even though that they know that. And in verse 8, they said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. And then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And he cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. The Israelites, Israelites ask Samuel, their helper, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us. Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us. Israel repents, turns to God, and in the midst of pressing challenges in their life, they cry out. And we can too. I was talking with someone this week in preparation for the message, and they said that when they think of crying out, they think of a baby and how a baby is literally helpless and solely dependent on those that care for it. But the baby cries, and then the baby is provided for. And so for us, where we come to a point where we cry out to God, and you know, maybe you have an infant in the home, and you're like, yep, I know all about the crying, right? Uh, but maybe for us, we cry out to God, and we say, God, we are literally helpless without you. We cannot do this without you. And for those of you that don't know uh, my family's story, over the last several years, we have cried out so many times to God for various things. But one in particular, in June of 2012, my family and I entered into the adoption process to adopt a child from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And we signed the papers, we were super excited, and we picked the Democratic Republic of Congo because one, of the need that was there for the orphans, but then two, the, it was only supposed to take nine to 12 months. And so we liked the idea of being referred a child at a young age that we could bring into our home uh, at a young age as well. And so we went through the process, and then in April of 2013, I was in Atlanta for the Final Four for Millican University's Character Coach Forum, and I received a phone call from Indiana. And I knew right then that that was our adoption agency because it was an Indiana number and that's where our adoption agency was. And so I rushed away to get to a quiet place and my wife and I were on the phone with the adoption caseworker and she said, okay, are you ready? I'm gonna send you a photo and so we could both see it at the same time. And we received the referral of a five-month-old uh, baby boy, Hervé Soki. And uh, it was so cool. And I remember seeing that photo and thinking like, wow, I'm gonna get to be the father of this child. I'm gonna get to care for this child. And I was super excited. I showed it to everyone that I knew, you know? And as time passed, we continued to get more paperwork done for the adoption. And we came to a place where we only needed one piece of paper in order to get our son, Hervé. 
but they suspended the adoptions and due to political unrest and them reworking their adoption system in Congo, uh, we were prevented from getting our child. And I cried out to God so many times during that process. And I would just ask God, I, what is going on? You know, we would receive picture after picture of him growing up without us there. He was a Cubs fan, still is, just so you know. But <clears throat> we would receive picture after picture of him growing up without us. And I kept crying out to God and saying, God, what's it going to take for him to be in our home? But yet, it didn't, I didn't ever feel like I heard anything. And as I look at the biblical story of Israel and the Israelites being provided for and then they forget and they're provided for and they forget, I, I look at that and I'm like, how could you forget? But in the midst of my cries and my family's cry, it is easy to forget sometimes when it feels like God is not answering that cry. And we went through that period of time where it was difficult. But in February of this year, God provided that piece of paper that we needed and we were able to bring Hervé home to be a part of our family. And I have a photo on the screen of the four crazy boys that we now have. And it's been, thank you. <clears throat> it's been a blast. I'm trying to build a basketball team. But it really has been amazing. And for us, like, Hervé is that reminder that God provides and God shows that he is faithful. But I know that there may be some people here today who are in the midst of an unanswered cry. Maybe you are a middle school student and you're trying to figure out, like, where you fit in in your friend circle. And maybe there uh, are people at school who have been picking on you and it's been a really hard year. Or maybe you are a high school student and you're about to graduate and you're wondering, where is God going to be in my future and what's this going to look like? What am I going to do? Or maybe you're a young family who's a young married couple who's trying to start a family and it's not working out the way that you thought it would. And so you're crying out to God and you're saying, God, I'm helpless without you. Or maybe you're in your career and uh, maybe it's not the career you wanted or there are challenges in it and you're crying out to God saying, God, what do I do next? Or maybe your health is declining and you're trying to figure out your next steps and what that all looks like. But one thing that I can say for certain is that God hears the cry of his people. God hears and God cares because just as an infant cries and the parent cares for and provides for the infant. We are children of God. And God is there for us, loves us, created us and made us in his image and in his likeness. And he hears our cry. In 1 Samuel, after the people cry out to God and uh, um, Samuel sacrifices um, the burnt offering and God hears. It says in verse 10 that this happens. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in the battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with a loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. 
the men of Israel rushed out before Mitzvah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to the point below beth And then it says in verse 12, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzvah and Shen, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they stopped invading Israel, Israel's territory. And throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. And the towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel. And Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. And Samuel continued as Israel's leader all of the days of his life. So Israel repent, they cried out, and then Israel remembers that we serve a faithful God. And so for us, when, when I see Erve, Erve is a physical reminder of how God has provided for us in our life. And time and time again, throughout our whole lives, we've been provided for by God. And we can think back to those moments where God has showed up and God has provided for us and God has showed that he is faithful, that he is a faithful God. And that's the kind of God that we serve. And Samuel puts a stone, a standing stone that Lacey described earlier, Ebenezer, as a reminder of what God had done. So for us, what are reminders in our our life about how God has provided for us? What are things that have happened to us that we can look back on and we can say, wow, God showed up and God is good and we serve a faithful God. And so our response is to be faithful to the one who faithfully cares for us, to cry out to the one who created us and to admit our wrongs to the one who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for those wrongs. We serve an amazing, awesome God. But that's not where chapter seven ends. Yes, Israel was provided for and God showed that he is faithful and they remembered it through the standing stone, but chapter seven ends starting in verse 16 and 17 in a way that we may gloss over at times, and it says this, from year to year, he went on a circuit, that was Samuel, from Bethel to Gilgal to Mitzvah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was, and there he was also held court for Israel, and he built an altar there to the Lord. And so Samuel, year after year, was faithful to God. Year after year, week after week, day after day, he went from Bethel to Gilgal to Mitzvah to Ramah, and then he went from Bethel to Gilgal to Mitzvah to Ramah, and then Bethel to Gilgal to Mitzvah. Sounds pretty boring and monotonous, but what it is is the character of a guy, Samuel, who understands that he serves a faithful God, and that he's gonna show up year after year, week after week, day after day, to serve that God. And what I love about this church is we have so many people like that. 
We recently uh, looked at the numbers of this and found that we have 700 people in the life of this church who serve in an area of ministry. I mean, that's amazing. And we actually, we had a volunteer celebration uh, to, like, to celebrate just that. And I got to wear that orange leisure suit and it was fun. Uh, but we played the prices right and we really had a blast. And what we were saying to our volunteers in that moment is, you are priceless. That for what we do here at First Christian, we could not do it without people who come and who serve week in and week out, year after year, day after day. And that is the kind of culture that we have in this church. And as the student ministries pastor, I've been able to see this uh, through, throughout you know, my five years here and student leaders coming and serving in an area of ministry. And it's not always glamorous. It's not always something very exciting. Sometimes it feels like Bethel to Gilgal to Mitzvah to Rama. But our leaders serve faithfully to our students, and it's amazing. And actually, Wayne talked about last week a shift that is going to be happening in our student ministry that uh, I'm really excited about. And if you weren't able to be here for his explanation of it, please watch his sermon last week on it, because uh, he really was able to make our heart come alive in a really amazing way. But uh, starting in the fall, we are going to not have our Sunday morning student service like we do right now, like they're in for sixth through 12th grade. And we are inviting our students into our main worship services so that they can learn what it means to be a part of the family of God that is First Christian. And why I'm excited about that is because we have a culture here who champions growing together in small groups and in Sunday school classes and who champions serving together. And they're gonna be able to grow together. We're gonna have our specific programs for middle school and for high school on Sunday nights. But the students are gonna be able to sit side by side with multiple generations in this room. And they're gonna learn what it means to be a part of the family of God. I explained it to them this way last week that we, you go to a Thanksgiving meal and at a Thanksgiving meal there's two things that take place. There's the kids' table, and there's the adult table. And I remember being a, you know, almost entering into middle school, being like, do I have to sit at the kids' table and eat my grandma's jello? But what I, the way that I explained it to them is that we are invited, you know, at the kids' table, you are served a plate. It has everything on it. And at the adult table, you pick and choose what is for you. And we are inviting our students from the kids' table to the adult table to the family table of First Christian so that their faith will come alive in a whole new way, so that they will serve in different areas of our church over the weekend, and so that they will learn what it looks like and be next to their parents who are worshiping, and they will see how good and faithful our God is in that process. And so Samuel went from Bethel to Gilgal to Mitzvah to Ramah, and he served faithfully year after year, week after week, day after day. And that's one of the things that I love the most about this place, is we have people who do that. And in a moment, we are going to enter into a time of communion. 
And there's a song that we're gonna sing called Nothing Holding Me Back. And the lyrics to the song go like this. There's nothing holding me back from you, redeemer of my soul. And thinking back on 1 Samuel 7 and everything that we talked about today, let that truly be the worship of our hearts. If there's something that is holding you back, maybe you're distracted. Maybe you've kind of been going, you've been so busy that you've been going about your life and God isn't the center focus. And so maybe you need to turn and you need to repent and you need to say, God, I don't know how I got where I did, but I want you. Or maybe there's a cry that's going on in your life right now where you are crying out to God and you're saying, God, I need you in this. I am helpless without you. Cry out to God in this time. Or maybe there's a moment where God was faithful that you can think back to and you can say, wow, God, you are so good. We serve a faithful God, a God who provides for us. Regardless of what it is, I pray that in this time where we focus on the bread, the body of Christ broken for you, and the cup, the blood of Christ shed for you, I pray that there would truly be nothing holding you back from God. Because God is always right there. Always. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for how good you are. And in this time, God, we just pray that there is truly nothing holding us back from you. God, we thank you for the moments in our life where you have showed up those Ebenezer stone moments where we can say, wow, God, you helped us right there. God, I pray for people who are currently crying out to you in their life, who have a legitimate need, and I pray that you would help them. I pray for those that are distracted, that they would turn their focus to you. And God, I pray that we can remember that you are so faithful and so good to us that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and that that is what we remember in this moment. You have always provided for your children and we pray the prayer that you taught your disciples saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.